This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, Throwing Shade, The Media Matters Minute, and The Tom Hartman Program. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode contains discussions of sex between consenting adults as well as non-consenting animals. Sex with animals is basically... A favorite of David's. Sex with animals is basically legal in over 20 U.S. states. Now, gay marriage is only legal in nine states plus Washington, D.C. Medical marijuana, only legal in 18 states. In other words, you can have sex with animals in more than 20 U.S. states, but if you have a medical condition which would benefit from using a natural plant, that you can only have in 18 states. Makes perfect sense, don't you think? Perfectly logical. If you have a partner who happens to be the same gender as you, and you've been with them 20 years, unless you're in one of nine key states or Washington, D.C., you can't marry them. Right. Too bad. But sex with animals, that you can do in over 20 states. It's much easier to legally have sex with a horse than it is to marry your longtime partner of 20 years who happens to be the same gender. Yeah, well... It's, it's going to change, David. I, some, I promise you this will change. Some would say, well, but the gay marriage thing is very clear in, in Leviticus. Well, so is the sex with animals thing. Levit Leviticus 18.23, uh, do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. You know, there are some restrictions, like the animal can't have been raped. Some states say... Sex with animals is not specifically forbidden, but you can't rape the animal. Of course, it's very easy to prove whether the animal was raped or not. You just ask it, you ask it if it consented or not. You have an animal psychic. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very straightforward. We have a problem in this country, ladies and gentlemen, when this is the case. We have a, a deep, deep problem. And to quote Mitt, uh, Newt Gingrich, we need a fundamental paradigm shift in this country, both on gay marriage and on sex with horses. We, we do need a, a, a serious reevaluation here. Yes, this is shocking, but let's put things into perspective. Please, uh, Lewis, put horse sex into perspective we, for us. We both believe that within 10 years, every state will have uh, marriage for same-sex No, I don't know about that. Or close years. to it. As or Chase was saying it. earlier on the show, Chase Whiteside, some of these states are not going to pass it via popular vote, and they're not going to pass it via legislature, uh, legislature because everybody's Republican. It's going to depend on a federal mandate of sorts. And I just don't know that we're going to get that in the next 10 years. Maybe not. But individual states are moving in that direction. Many states are, but we're going to quickly reach the number where that's, that's possible. recently, California passed a ban on gay conversion therapy for minors. And if you are an adult who wants to undergo gay conversion therapy, you can do so. However, you do have to sign forms indicating that this is uh, scientifically proven to not work. 
basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that it could cause depression, uh, it could cause thoughts of suicide, and that it, you can't change your sexual orientation from gay to straight. Um, however, a federal judge, uh, a U.S. District Court judge by the name of William Shubb, uh, has decided to uh, temporarily block that law from going into effect on January 1st. However, um, the way he did that was he limited uh, the, the block to three gay conversion therapy providers. So only those three providers will be able to continue practicing um, you know, their gay conversion therapy. Even the, though the love with uh, patients all across the country, as George W. Bush would say. And good docs going on a business. They need to practice their love with patients across the country. All right, now the reason he did it is freedom of speech, right? He says they yes. have the right to be able to say what they want in that therapy so we can't block them. It, you know, it's an interesting ruling. I'd have to look into it more, but there's some chance I would agree with him. I 100% disagree with him. All right. Um, because doctors are supposed to protect their patients. They're not supposed to do things to them that are supposed to, that damage them, that could harm them. And in this case, it has been proven that these gay conversion therapies, A, not only wor- don't work, but also can be horrible for the mental health of these patients. Well, my favorite part of the story is where they sign the thing where it says this doesn't work. Right. It's like, can you imagine you're going to get gas? And says, okay, now I need you to sign something saying you will not actually get gas. Like, okay, all right, I sign that. Now I'll pay you 50 bucks for the gas I'm not getting. Okay, you might not want to do that, right? Now, having said that, you know, you make a good, interesting point, and it really is, you'd have to delve into that particular case to, to see which way I would come out on it. But, like, a doctor can't say, I have freedom of speech rights, so I believe smashing a coconut over your head will cure you of cancer. Right. So, I mean, I don't have to do it, but you do it. You go home and smash a coconut over your head, and you won't have cancer anymore. Mm, there should be good regulations against that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a compelling case to make here that you can have all the speech rights you want, but you're doing really malpractice here by uh, trying to convert people that have, one, nothing wrong with them, and two, with mm-hmm. quackery, that certainly isn't going to work. I mean, look, in the past, and I think some of them even today, would use electroshock therapy to convert these people from gay to straight, okay? They would not only mentally harm them, but they would physically harm them in the process of doing so. And we've done stories about how some of these gay conversion therapy clinics basically sexually assault these gay uh, patients. So I... I, I completely disagree with the judge's ruling. I guess we'll see what happens. The law was supposed to take effect January 1st, but when it comes to these three uh, gay conversion therapy providers, that law will not affect them. Fall and done again Reach out to me Or turn your face away Come and run again and the sea and how the night can chase the day and I'm just trying to find a way a way between the fires in 1967 Supreme Court ruled unanimously that race cannot be used as a basis to restrict marriage in the United States. This was a famous case. You learned about it in high school. Loving versus Virginia. The amazingly named Lovings were Richard and Mildred Loving. And in 1958, they left Virginia and traveled to Washington, D.C. so they could get married. When they returned to Virginia, where interracial marriage was against law, they were sentenced to a year in prison. 
for getting married. When the judge in Virginia sentenced him to prison, he said, quote, Almighty God created the races and he placed them on separate continents. The fact that he separated the races shows that he did not intend for the races to mix. The Lovings appealed that decision and eventually won at the Supreme Court, thereby changing the law in the entire country. But why did it take until 1967 for the Supreme Court to weigh in on interracial marriage? By 1954, a full 13 years earlier, the court had already ruled in cases involving race and segregation and discrimination, perhaps most famously in Brown v. Board of Education, which the court held unanimously that separate but equal was unconstitutional. So again, why wait until 1967 to hear the case about interracial marriage. Here are all of the states that had laws on the books in 1947, 1947, banning interracial marriage. Most of them, right? By 1967, only 16 states still had those laws on the books. In the two decades between 1947 and 1967, the years between the years the Supreme Court was staying mum on the issue, most states decided on their own that it was unconstitutional to ban interracial marriage, or at least unwise. The court was following on their heels, following the heels of public opinion. This is a big debate in the legal world. Is the Supreme Court influenced by American public opinion? These are nine people who very well could completely ignore the will of the people. They are appointed for life, no elections, no accountability. They can totally ignore us if they so choose. But many legal experts say that is not how it works. Supreme Court justices are in fact swayed by what people in this country think about issues. Today the Supreme Court announced it would hear two cases involving same-sex marriage next year. That is huge. They said they would hear the Prop 8 case out of California. Prop 8 is the California ballot proposition, which amended the California Constitution to define marriage between a man and a woman. The court will rule sometime this year, probably in June, whether that amendment is unconstitutional. But the court also said it would hear a challenge to the Defense of Marriage Act, a 1996 law passed under President Clinton that defined marriages only between a man and a woman for the purposes of federal law. So the question is, why now? Why did the Supreme Court choose this moment? Well, nine states and Washington, D.C. all recognize same-sex marriage now. That doesn't seem like very many, but it's happening quickly. Three of those states, Maryland, Maine, and Washington, uh, in those, people voted to legalize marriage just in November. First-time voters have ever done so. And there's a big public opinion trend here. Since 2004, the Washington Post-ABC News poll has been asking people, should it be legal or illegal for gay and lesbian couples to get married? In 2004, 59% of people said they thought same-sex marriage should be against the law. In 2012, it was almost the opposite, 53% favor making it legal. Pew has been asking the question since 1966, 1996, I'm sorry, when 65% of people were against same-sex marriage. By October of this year, 49% were for marriage equality, while 40% opposed it. One more set of numbers, even more telling. Gallup released its most recent polling on same-sex marriage this week. 53% of people polled support legalizing same-sex marriage, which ties a previous record high. But look inside the poll. Among young people, 80 to 29-year-olds, 73% say they think same-sex marriage should be recognized as valid. 73%. So here's a question. The court is choosing to rule now. Are the justices looking at these trends and saying, we need to use our power, our insulation from public opinion to put a stop to this? Or are they looking at these trends and seeing a chance to join history, to become the court that said gay marriage is protected under the Constitution?
Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. The Supreme Court is now hearing two gay marriage cases. One... Gases. Gases. Uh, that... Uh, would, they're hearing a case that challenges the rulings of Section 3 of DOMA, saying that basically that's unconstitutional. And most people have felt that that was going to happen. People, legal experts, expected this. And um, most LGBT uh, experts also feel that, that they will win this case, that this is something that they will prevail on. I have a question. Yeah. When something is ruled unconstitutional and you don't like that ruling, can you call it unconstitutional? Well, you should. And that is how they're going to do it in the case. Okay, good. Absolutely. And they don't bleep in the Supreme Court. Thank God. Those those people have the filthiest mouths. Uh, But not many people thought that the court would hear the Prop 8 case. Uh, Right. Which is... No on H8. Exactly. The Prop 8 case was the gay marriage case in California. Prop 8 won, which means that uh, you you could not get married in the state and that couples, you know, it was legal for a while and then became illegal and stayed illegal. Whatever happened. So people who did get married, that was still... They're still married. Okay. So like Ellen DeGeneres, for instance, got married when it was legal. She is still legally married in the state of California, but you cannot get married now in the state of California. It was such a fuck you. So anyway, um, they're hearing this case and... Anti-gay activists are super pumped about this because it was a... Sh- if, in other words, if the court hadn't heard the Prop 8 case, gay marriage would have been legal in California again because of the other rulings that had happened since uh, the election, of since 2008. So it, basically, if the Supreme Court doesn't want to hear it and it's reached them, then it just it just like uh, defaults to the lower court's decision, Exactly. Right? And so gay marriage would have been really immediately legal. And so people were really even kind of hoping that they wouldn't hear this because... Um, things could get really bad. It could, it could, the ruling could end up doing a, a lot of damage and, uh, and is making a lot of people afraid. So it's possible that the court could hand down a sweeping decision that would uphold marriage bans in over 30 other states, ruling that marriage is not a fundamental right for gays. Um, and if you're afraid of that, according to, uh, Michelangelo Signorelli of Huffington Post, who's brilliant, he said, then you should be very afraid because that could have a really broad and enduring impact. So that is absolutely one of the possibilities in this is that they uphold these bans and say uh, marriage is not a right for a gay person. So it actually seems more likely that the Supreme Court would go that way than it would um, throwing out marriage bans across the country. In other words, saying like you can't. So it's more likely they're going to ban marriage. Exactly. That they would say they would uphold all those things. And why not just make it a state issue? I know. And see, that would be, it would be really, I think the country's about ready for it to be a national issue, for it to just be a federal No, law. I agree, but if they're going to vote that way, it's, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's representative of how a majority of the Americans feel about gay marriage. And I, kids, this is why you have to vote because we, the, you young people, 
who don't don't have to worry about Botox like I do. I worry about Botox. I worry about Botox attacking me. Okay, what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I understand. So this is a real problem. Mm, a real problem. But what I'm saying is, young people want gay people to get married. Yes. So get fucking go to get, take five minutes and go to the ballot box. Absolutely, please. pound on those doors. Get, fight for your rights to part. But don't fight for your right for gay marriage. But do continue to fight for your right to party. Yeah, because you do have that right. You know what? I don't care what you do. I don't care if you go to a frat house and you try to get in a frat and you let them put a bat like a paddle in your butt. Yeah. I don't care I if think you... they slap you, but I don't think they actually put it in your Oh, butt. yeah, they do. Oh, they do? Yeah. There yeah. was a very famous Law & Order SVU. Oh, I see. Where a gentleman was splintered in his butt from a paddle, and they found it in the sewage system because it had been thrown in the sewers. So that's how they had the, the evidence. And then a book came out that, that had all the logs of everyone who'd been abused. And then the girlfriend came out, and she was like, I'm really sorry. I had lied. And then Mariska Hargitay was, you know... Very, you know how she does that stern look? She was doing a lot of stern looks in this episode. But that's why I'm saying that, that it is very, very, very real yeah. that this kind of thing happens. And, and we can all thank Law & Order SVU for, for educating us. Well, there we go. Uh, another possible outcome of this, which had nothing to do, unfortunately, with Mariska Hargitay, uh, is uh, that... Is, I know, I'm sorry. I don't sorry. know if I can even hear it. Another possible outcome is that... They just affirmed the Ninth Circuit Court's ruling, which means basically that it would only apply to California. That they would say, fine, gay marriage can happen in California, but nowhere else. I mean, the fact that they're meeting and it's the holidays, it worries me. It does. It worries me, too. And I guess what's so confusing, and I know I mentioned this at the beginning, is why they decided to take it up at all. Really, it just may have been better had they not. And this is from Huffington Post. Uh, They say... It's very confusing. It only takes four justices to decide to take a case. Did the four most conservative justices believe they could get Justice Kennedy's swing vote? Or did the four liberal-leaning justices decide to take it up, thinking they'd, in fact, get Kennedy? Or did all nine justices believe they needed to take up the case for various reasons? We don't know, and the legal experts have been wrong on this issue and many others, so don't put much stock in speculation." But what is kind of exciting is that we all know that public opinion is shifting pretty rapidly. This is a quote from George Will, who is a big conservative pundit, and he was on ABC's This Week on uh, on Sunday, and he was What a dumb name for that show. I, know. I wish they would change it. It's so hard to say this when... Week on, this week earlier this week. Go fuck yourself. So... Well, depending on what kind of calendar you use, if you start your calendar on a Monday, then it's last week. You know what I mean? Exactly. Good point. So George Will had some interesting things to say about it. You remember, he's a conservative, and he said, This decision by the Supreme Court came 31 days after an election day in which three states for the first time endorsed same-sex marriage at the ballot box. Now, the next question is, how will that influence the court? It could make them say it's not necessary for us to go here. They don't want to do what they did with abortion. The country was having a constructive accommodation on abortion, liberalizing abortion laws. The court yanked the subject out of democratic discourse and embittered the argument. They may say, we don't want to do that. We can just let the democracy take care of this. On the other hand, they could say it's now safe to look at this because there's something like an emerging consensus. Quite literally, and this is kind of a huge thing for a conservative like George Will to say, quite literally, the opposition to gay marriage is dying. It's old people. Hate old people. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
Conservative columnist, uh, conservative commentator, I, I don't know how he consider, what he considers himself at this point, conservative George Will on the George Stephanopoulos show this week said that quite literally the opposition to gay marriage is dying. And what he means is people who oppose gay marriage are dying. Take a listen to what George Will had to say. That they get to the underlying question whether gay marriage is a guaranteed right under the Constitution. As, as part of equal protection. Peter Finley Dunn, great American humorist, created a man named Mr. Dooley, who famously said, the Supreme Court follows the election returns. This decision by the Supreme Court came <clears throat> 31 days after an election day in which three states, for the first time, endorsed same-sex marriage at the ballot box. Never happened before. Maine, Maryland, and the state of Washington. Now, the question is, how will that influence the court? It could make them say, it's not necessary for us to go here. They don't want to do what they did with abortion. The country was having a constructive accommodation on abortion, liberalizing abortion laws. The court yanked the subject out of democratic discourse and embittered the argument. They may say, we don't want to do that. We can just let the democracy take care of this. On the other hand, they could say it's now safe to look at this because there is something like an emerging consensus. Quite literally, the opposition to gay marriage is dying. It's there you go. So he's, he's say, And we've been saying this for a while, and we actually got... Uh, one voicemail and a couple of emails saying that, in a way, what we were saying was ageism, suggesting that conservative ideas will die out and young people will come in with the, with the progressive ideas. That is not actually what we were saying in the sense that there are plenty of, of people in all age brackets that can subscribe to progressive beliefs. But what we see when we look at, for example, legalization of marijuana, gay marriage, everything, there is a direct line. Approval of these things goes down as age goes up. So in a sense, George Will here is indicating exactly the same thing we've been talking about. We agree with conservative George Will. Right. Naturally, as these people who are young start to take over, I mean, across the board, you will have people who support all of these things. Yeah, I mean, who's really going to oppose? It's, it's going to be very few people who are 15 years old right now that oppose gay marriage or legalization of marijuana. Why would they? Because more than likely, there are fewer of their parents who oppose it. And why is that? Well, because there are fewer of their parents. You know, it just, it's yeah. going to keep going that way. There will be some, but it will be a tiny, tiny minority. Hopefully marginal, eventually. Yeah. We didn't realize that we had arrived at high tide, high tide. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Todd Akin is another one of those uh, elected officials that won't be in office for much longer, thankfully. Um, and... He wants he's to, still, like, he's still in, he ran for the Senate and lost, but he's still in the House. He's still in the House, um, but he 
has proposed something known as the conscience clause. And what he wants to do is basically do a little bit of strike back against uh, the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. And can I just interrupt here to say that whenever the words honor, morality, and conscience are used, they usually mean the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So like when somebody says, I'm about to do what is honorable, they're about to do something terrible, right? And when he introduces the conscience clause, you can bet your bottom dollar it's going to be the no conscience whatsoever clause. So what is it then? Aiken's conscience clause would purportedly protect the religious liberties of military personnel who disagree with homosexuality. Under the bill, the U.S. military must accommodate the conscience and sincerely held morale principles and religious beliefs of the members of the armed forces concerning the appropriate and inappropriate expression of human sexuality. So basically, it, it would be, it's a very vague piece of legislation, and it's intentionally vague, so if you want to discriminate against uh, gay members of the military, you can go ahead and do so. Yeah, but what is not vague is his intent. Exactly. It, what he wants to do is allow members of the military to continue to pick on homosexuals. I mean, that's the whole point of the bill. It's their conscience, meaning their religious principles, and their religious principles is homosexuality is a sin, etc., that they want to be able to vocalize that. It's literally bully a gay in the military bill, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the guy, kind of guy who does that is a guy with no conscience. You're like, oh, we got rid of the you know, prohibition of gays in the military? I'd still like to be able to pick on them. I mean, come on, can't I? They're gay. Can't I harass them? That's basically what Todd Aiken is saying on his way out. He's an unbelievably bad guy. It's kind of amazing how openly he hates on people, right? And how someone like that was elected. As, as a member of our government. Like, it, it amazes me. Like, he hates women. Like, he hates gay people. Like, he's so open about it. And he doesn't learn. I mean, he was a headline news story for so long because of some of the stupid stuff he said. And he's still going at it. Look up. Can we put the first part of his, the, the clip up there, of the graphic up there again? Because I love the These guys are so Orwellian. Even the dumb ones like Todd Aiken. They just, they always, like, they're going to, they've totally usurped the word liberty. You know, like he makes it a frame about liberty. Like it's something yeah. about his rights have been infringed on. Right. See, I want to make a point about that because I just read a great article in Alternate about the two different views of freedom. And it, go, it says something that has gone throughout our history. It's a northern ver version of freedom and the southern version of freedom. Okay. And these are broad principles, obviously, and, and, and they, through time they get muted, et cetera. But uh, the northern vision of liberty is. You're free to do what you want, but obviously don't interfere with other people's rights, etc. The southern vision is, don't mess with my freedom to do what I've always been doing, which is dominating other people, right? Right, right. So, and so that's when I read that, I was like, man, that is that explains so much. Because it's the frame you see so often that we're confused by. What do you mean, your freedom? You, you don't have the freedom to harass other people. You don't have the freedom to take away their rights, you know, whether it's the rights of women, reproductive rights, etc. But they, they feel like, I always used to dominate. And it, and, and it was an interesting article within the context of uh, two, two different kinds of rich people, the northern rich and the southern rich, where the northern rich after they robbed and stole, whatever it might be. And, and of course, not all rich people do that. I'm kidding around. But then they would do uh, philanthropy because they wanted to give back to the community. Whereas the Southern rich thought, well, the whole point of this, of my wealth, my power, and my freedom, is the freedom to be able to subjugate other people. And so when you take that freedom away from me, I think, well, what the hell? Give me my country back. Right. Right? 
And so that's what Aiken's doing here. Like, I used to have the freedom to be able to pick on gays all I liked. And now you're telling me I can't do that? Well, look, that's you've got to be able to let me exercise my conscience. Right, that's a matter of liberty. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting way to think about it. And Aiken does this on his way out because it's his way of saying, like, oh, well, you didn't elect me? Well, so now I can show you who I really am. Yeah, well, right? I mean, it's not going to mean big deal on the way out. No one's going to vote for this or pay any attention to it. I know, but it's it's him being bitter, being like, oh, yeah? Well, ha-ha, I, I am hateful. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's what we were saying. This is a Media Matters Minute. I'm Carlos Maza. During a recent edition of his radio show, Rush Limbaugh brought up a story in The Guardian which suggested that there is a growing belief that pedophilia should be classified as a distinct sexual orientation, like heterosexuality or homosexuality. Here's what Limbaugh had to say. We can better protect children if we know that they're having sex with adults rather than being done on the sly. And if it's supervised, and if it's engaged in by loving people, then what's wrong with this? This is in the article. I just want to remind you now, when you first heard about gay marriage, and I don't mean to pick on gays, it's not what I'm just, it's something that is such a tremendous departure from accepted norms of the day. When you first heard about gay marriage, you poo-poo it? Limbaugh's comments should come as little surprise. Media Matters has documented over 4,800 examples of Limbaugh promoting falsehood, smears, and intolerance on his radio show and recently named him Misinformer of the Year. This is done. That was the scene when, on December 22nd, 2010, President Obama signed into law the repeal of the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. Jay Johnson, who's the former general counsel at the Pentagon, who was instrumental in shepherding through the Pentagon side of the repeal of don't ask, don't tell, uh, is still with us. Thanks for staying with us. Um, you are a Democrat, I'm guessing? You advised. Uh, yes. You have been involved in democratic politics. You advised the presidential campaign of President Obama in 2008, John Kerry in 2004. Yes. When you um, were asked by the president to serve as general counsel at the Pentagon, did you know that that would entail the intensive work that you did on Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was something that I knew the president in the campaign had pledged to uh, seek repeal of in collaboration with the military and with Congress, uh, with careful consideration. Basically, we didn't want to get too involved in the issue too early in 2009. And um, in the beginning of 2010, Secretary Gates asked me if I would co-chair the working group that would study the risk of repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell over a period of 10 months, which would then happen to land in the middle of the lame duck session of Congress two years ago. And so we undertook that study in February 2010. General Carter Hamm, who was then commander of U.S. Army Europe, who happened to have been a great co-chair, a great selection for this assignment. And we had this remarkable, basically, U.S. military-wide conversation about whether this law could be repealed in 2010, 2011. Uh, we had a survey of 400,000 service members, 150,000 spouses, Carter Ham and I basically went to something like 95 different military installations, 
We had these large group sessions. Many of them we did ourselves. And we basically had a conversation with the entire U.S. military about this issue and about this law. We learned some very interesting things. Well, when you surveyed members of the military on this, I know that uh, in the Marine Corps, survey respondents from the Marine Corps, a majority of them said, actually, it is going to be a problem to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We anticipate that this is not going to go well. Well, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, war fighting units, the Marine Corps, they all predicted horrible things yeah. if the law were repealed. However... When we, we found that when we asked people about the actual experience of serving in a unit with somebody they believed to be gay, and in t the year 2010, most service members recognized, even with Don't Ask, Don't Tell in place, that they were in a unit with someone who was gay. They recognized that. And when we asked them, how was the experience? Even in warfighting units, they rated the unit's ability to perform and get its job done very high in like the 85-90% range. So when you focused people in on the reality rather than the perception or the stereotype of what it would be like to serve with someone who was openly gay, um, the experience is almost always positive. Even in those Marine Corps warfighting units, uh, where they had the experience, it was always it was always very positive. And it's, do you feel that the repeal has gone as smoothly as it seems to have gone? I mean, you have direct experience in terms of what the Pentagon knows as of a couple of weeks ago. The uh, I know that there was some consternation that people who served before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed and who were kicked out have not necessarily gotten back in in large numbers. That's the only thing that I know of that people are complaining about in terms of the, uh, the implementation of it. How do you see the implementation as having gone? I think it's actually gone smoother than even General Hamm and I predicted. Mm. And uh, I think it is a testament to the strength of the U.S. military, the leadership of the U.S. military that really got behind this change and let the force know that they were behind this change. And it's a testament to what we heard a lot in the study phase, which is that predictions of change, predictions of what human behavior will be like if you bring about change, are always better than what people think. In other words, there, people predict these negative, horrible things, and then when it actually happens, it goes way better. And they that's, outperform the expectations. They outperform yeah. the expectations, and in the U.S. military in particular. He says, baby, I love you, baby, I need you, never gonna let you go. Writes me love notes, takes me shopping, and to Broadway shows. Talk to him like he is a girlfriend, summer party every night. Never been so happy before, he's almost Mr. Right. But I think he's hot, and I think he's sweet, and I think he's gay, and I think he's neat. Okay, okay, said my boyfriend's gay, but what does it matter anyway? He hasn't come out of the closet yet Till then I'll take all I can get Two, three, four He doesn't think I know But I know, I know, I've always known He doesn't think it shows But it shows for sure It's always shown You might think it's a little sad But he's the best lover that I've ever had Newt Gingrich is saying that the Republican Party should, quote, deal with reality and accept legal marriage equality. This is what some are calling a stunning reversal. He says the party needs to accommodate and deal with reality and get on board with legal equality for same-sex couples. Now, this is the same Newt Gingrich who in the past pushed the now unconstitutional Defense of Marriage Act through Congress in 1996. He's been one of the nation's, I would say, consistent opponents of marriage equality. And the Huffington Post is reporting that he is basically saying public opinion is shifting here. Republicans need to get on board. Now, here's the thing. He is making a distinction between legal, civil 
in other words, gay marriage, and churches doing gay marriages. He's, of course, not saying churches would, uh, would be doing gay marriages, and certainly they wouldn't have to, even if gay marriage was legal according to civil law. No question about that. Now, some people are saying, wow, Newt Gingrich, who... He's had these two divorces and this long history of infidelity, and he's presented himself as some kind of defender of traditional marriage. He is apparently coming around. I don't know. He's making a change. Voters in Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Washington, they rejected a lot of these anti-gay marriage positions. They voted in. Gingrich now thinks that marriage equality is inevitable. What a good guy. I don't know about that, though. What really might be going on here is that Newt Gingrich just sees Republicans aren't going to be able to compete unless they come around somewhat, right? I mean, Newt Gingrich was very realistic last week or the week before when we covered him saying Hillary Clinton as a candidate on the Democratic side right now is not something Republicans would be able to compete with. He probably knows that public opinion is shifting and Republicans need to at least pretend to change their opinion. What he's basically saying is, I don't believe in marriage equality, but if saying so will get Republicans support from gays and from people who understand that gays and lesbians should not be discriminated against, then we should at least put up a good show that we're okay with it. Right? Isn't that what we're really seeing here? That might be what he's saying. Uh, that's probably what he's saying. I think, <laughs> I think he's also saying that he's not going to be running for office again. Um, because, let's face it, this would be kind of a long-term change for the Republican Party. It would be. I mean, Natan, can they, even, can they really get the, the broader party to come around and do this even simply for political posturing, not because they believe it? I think the broader party is going to be forced into it. If you remember Robert Byrd, the late Robert Byrd, uh, senator from West Virginia, Democrat, he was in the KKK as a kid. He filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And later on in the 70s, he realized that he wasn't going to be a part of the national discussion right. and not be taken seriously unless he backtracked. And he did. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing, of, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is this, is this the, that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just, uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right, well, you know what? None of us know what the, what what's good about this show. What None we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious... I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. One of the most amazing things that happened in this last election is that four, if my recollection is correct, LGBT members of Congress are now in office. And I think the number before was Barney Frank, wasn't it? Pretty much. And uh, this is this is a big deal. And there were four states where LGBT issues were on the ballot: three to legalize gay marriage, and one to ban it by constitutional amendment. And in every case, people said, "Okay, we're for gay marriage." This seems to be the the civil rights issue of our era. The American perspectives are changing. We're 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 kind of post miscegenation, you know. It's a, but 
there are those folks who are saying, no, not ready to change yet. Dr. Michael Brown is with us. He's the host of the Line of Fire radio program, nationally syndicated, the author of 22 books, including his latest, A Queer Thing Happened to America. His website is askdrbrown.org, as in A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. And Dr. Michael Brown, welcome to our program. Great to be back with you again, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, the Family Research Council is calling for civil disobedience to block same-sex marriages. How does that work? Well, I'm, I'm not a spokesman for FRC, but what I understand them to mean is that if a Christian in good conscience could not participate in something having to do with recognizing same-sex marriage, they would do it. I mean, we've got a long, rich tradition of civil disobedience on all sides in America. So this would be like, uh, you know, just as an example, when I was a, when I was a teenager, the, I, I lived in a white neighborhood, and the, the girl next, literally next door, the house next door to us, she was a few years older than me, um, she wanted to marry a black man. Now, this was in the 60s. Her father was so offended by that, he refused to walk her down the aisle. She asked my father to. He did. Our families never again talked. Um, it was the schism you know, between the two families. But um, that was an act of civil disobedience on the part of her father. Um, she ended up marrying a black man and, and uh, never again, to the best of my knowledge, a decade or so that I kept in touch with them. Uh, interacted with her family. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Well, no. You know, it's, it's interesting. My, my first organ teacher when I was five years old was an openly gay man, and he and his partner would come and have dinner at our home. This is early 60s. Then my next organ teacher was a black man married to a white woman that was also ostracized that was often in our home as a couple. So my thinking is very different on that. I, I do not insult the civil rights movement by equating sexual desires, romantic attraction with skin color. Nor do I equate the. How, why, why not? You're born with both. No, there's no scientific evidence to say you're born with both. Okay, well, let me ask you a really simple no question. Literature there. At, uh, first of all, uh, it seems to be interesting to me that there are some people who spend all their time, some straight, apparently straight people, who spend all of the time thinking about gay people and what they're doing. And, you know, I asked. Dr. Paul Cameron of the Family Research Institute, this question, and, and you know, do you have, uh, do you think that you have uh, interests in men, sexual interests in men from time to time? And, and Dr. Cameron basically said, well, you know, I, doesn't everybody? And I said, no, I I yeah, don't. I, I guess by that you would be a closet conservative then, because well, you I'm, to be I'm conservative, so you must be a secret conservative. I'm <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, well, actually, I've I've been there and done that, you know. But uh, the the thing that fascinates me is that most people uh, now they, I, I get it that there are a few exceptions, you know, the kind of the Larry Craig's of the world. But most people can tell you how old they were when they realized their sexuality. I mean, I was probably seven years old thereabouts oh, yeah. when I noticed very, that I thought girls young. were quite different than boys, and there was something really fascinating about them. And I'm guessing the same is true of you. Yeah, my interest in girls, I mean, as, as soon as you get past the thing of, of, ooh, girls, when you're like in first grade or something, yeah, I've, I've been heterosexual and if I've... Okay, so what do you say to somebody who says, when I first became aware of sexuality, you know, which is long before adolescence, I mean, people, you know... Uh, I was I was attracted to people of the same sex, not to people of the opposite sex. H how do you tell? I, I believe them? every word they're saying, and I have. And okay, the then how can you say they aren't born that way? 
because things are, are developed in, in early years of our childhood, many, many deep things in our behavior and our lifestyle. Plus, there's no scientific but evidence the, that can point definitively to a gay gene or whatever. And look, there, people are arguing... There is no let's, scientific let's evidence for your behavioral theory. That, ...that we both absolutely deplore. And people claim there's a gene for that, a violent gene, a pedophile gene. So, to me, it, it, it almost... I, I want to treat this person as a fellow human being with dignity and respect... But to say I'm not going to then why not let them get marriage? I'm not going to redefine marriage based on your sexual desires or romantic attraction. Why? Because marriage has been in society for a certain purpose, which is to join a child with a mother and father and to have the possibility of procreation. And to say that that marriage should just be so. So I've I've had a vasectomy. I can't procreate. So are you suggesting? That I, you know, if, if my wife, uh, God forbid, should divorce me, that I should not be allowed to marry? No, because the rule then, is... Then you're saying marriage isn't just for procreation. I didn't say it was just for. I said it's for the possibility of procreation and the joining of a kid with a mother and father. But, I mean, that's, that's a whole other subject. I know you wanted to talk on the civil disobedience end. And the fact is, no one's trying to stop people from living how they want to live. If my next-door neighbors were a gay couple and they went away, I'd mow their lawn or help them out or have them over for dinner... But, I'm not gonna but you want to stop the them from being learn. able to visit each other in the hospital when they're sick or being able to inherit from each other. I don't understand I'm, I'm that. I'm all for them being able to visit each other in the hospital just like a heterosexual couple who's living together outside of wedlock. Well, there's tens, they, tens of thousands of laws in the United States that refer to the word marriage. Why not? You know, the, I, you know, I respect your right in your church to say we're not going to marry gays here. Uh, I think it's wrong, and I think eventually we'll come to view that with the same horror that we that we view churches that, like the Mormon Church, up until the the, the late seventies or early eighties, said you know they would not uh, recognize uh, interracial couples. Um, but I, you know, I, I for the moment, you know, I'll, I'll say your church can be you know bigoted if you want, but why should the secular state be bigoted? Well, the secular state only has an interest in marriage because marriage conveys benefits on the secular state, which same-sex couples do not convey. Of course they do. Do you you have an issue with polygamous marriages? Because that's in the courts now, too. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about about marriage equality. Do you have a moral objection to polygamous marriages because they have a longer history than same-sex marriage? It's around the world, and it's in the courts in America today, and they're using the same arguments. There are gay folks I've talked to. They're against polygamy. So the question is, where does one draw the line? And if, and if I think you draw the line of monogamy. You, you know, it just if you look at this anthropologically, no, there's a very simple. You know, Michael, you you asked me a question. Let me give you the answer. There was once a reason for polygamy, and that reason was that three thousand, four thousand years ago, when it was a bunch of tribes running around in the desert, killing each other in incredible numbers, the number the the, the number of men to the number of women. The ratio was not 50-50. It might have been one man for every two women or one man for every three women because the men were killing each other off. In that kind of a world, polygamy makes sense. That's not the world we live in anymore. Polygamy doesn't make sense anymore. Marriage is going to be redefined based on the world we live in. And if the world we live in proves in a generation that it's best for a kid to have a mom and dad and that same-sex marriage opened the door to polygamous marriage and incestuous marriage, which is all before oh, the now, then maybe your views will change. Maybe you, look, you sound bigoted. And what you say to polygamists, to, to the one million plus Muslims, you sound bigoted. To people in, in what, 140 nations, you sound it, bigoted. It may well be. 
It may well be, but I stand by that. I, I don't think that, but this, but this is not a discussion about polygamy. It's a discussion about gay marriage. Oh, no, hell no, man. Y'all done up and done it. Oh, no, hell no, boy. Y'all done up and done it. Oh, no, hell no, man. Y'all done up and done it. Y'all done up and done it, man. Y'all done up and done it. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Aaron, you're not going to believe it. Gay people want gay marriage. No. Believe it. I couldn't believe it when I read it. Who would have thunk it? Gay people want gay marriage. Um, have you heard of an organization called Go Proud? No, I actually haven't. Have you heard of the Log Cabin Republicans? Yes. Okay, so this is like a gay conservative group, Go Proud. But they're like even more conservative than, the than Log, Log Cabin Republicans. Yeah. How? They were the ones a few years ago How who, can they be more conservative than that? Yeah. They were the ones a few years ago who called, uh, named Ann Coulter their gay icon of the year. Cool. And they had her come speak? Is that yes, correct? Yeah. what was called HomoCon. And, and um, she came? She, she came, came and called herself like the Judy Garland of the right and convinced all the guys there why gay marriage was bad for them. So essentially, she did that in one fell swoop. So she said that she convinced everyone uh, why it was bad. Well, this is very exciting. Go Proud director Jimmy LaSalvia, who runs the whole thing, a conservative gay guy. Is he? Is he? By any chance related to you, I'm just because I've never heard Salvia. No, but he is because back in the day, you remember when I was a conservative and yeah. I was picketing at Planned Parenthood. Yeah, I was, I was taking money back from poor people and I was like tripping minorities. Oh, you know I, what love- I mean, which was also the name of my first album, Tripping Minorities. But and- you, that was it. But that was an that illustration was you giving acid to like. The Chinese, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it was all that stuff. But it was a. You have to admit, it was a fun album. It was forty nine hours. Forty nine hours, and it was just. It's forty nine CDs. Which, by the way, why you didn't just make it fifty? I don't know. Well, I had to stop somewhere, and it's just one piano note the whole time. Just the letter, the 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 key of G. Well, that's what kind of that's the kind of music you would make if you were tripping. Thank you. So anyway, Go Proud has. Finally endorsed marriage equality. Oh, th- good for you people doing something right for your own people. Exactly. A bunch of gay guys have finally decided that this is worth it. So uh, let me so, read a quote. So from basically, them. It took them an entire year to undo the damage that Ann Coulter had done to their minds. Essentially, yeah. And they uh, basically, this group, I, I hate judging them so early on, but I mean, essentially, really, it's a group of about 500 extremely wealthy gay men who for lack of a better term, hate the shit out of themselves. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. So here was the, what they released uh, to BuzzFeed. Well, because Mother told them they were garbage. That's right. That's right. Don't you think? I mean, yes. they must have come from really shitty. And I feel like they all call their mom's mother. They all call their mom's mother. Yeah. Mother would have liked this. And then th- th- when they come to visit their mother, their mother walks down a grand staircase and she goes, 
Jonathan, are you still doing that thing with your life? Yes. That's it. Exactly. These are all yeah. guys who were like, oh, fuck, we just lost out on an inheritance, so we're going to backtrack here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to backtrack here. Yeah. So they were like, GoProud released a fucking, what do you call those shitty? Th- press release. Press release. They, yeah. Press release. They are very always very shitty. So they said, uh, Go, since our founding, GoProud has worked exclusively on federal issues. Because, because marriage has been a state issue since the founding of our country, we've had no official position on marriage or relationship recognition. So their whole thing is like, um, basically this. If it's not a federal issue, they don't care. We don't want to be, we don't want to be a part of it. Let the states decide, uh, that kind of thing. And so they say. That's that, how conservative they are. Exactly. Exactly. So they have, and meanwhile, the people they support, like John Boehner, they have recently. Can we please? I asked you Boner. a million. Thank you. His All name's right. John Boner. People like John Boner have recently re-upped um, the DOMA uh, defense their, their team. Com- their commitment to, to, to up three million dollars, oh. and this is some someone that GoProud supports. Um, so. And they they also say that uh, they've supported and continue to support the repeal of DOMA and that they oppose any effort to federalize marriage through a constitutional amendment. So in other words, what the Supreme Court is deciding on right now, they think would be catastrophic if the Supreme Court said that marriage should be legal, gay marriage should be legal on a federal level. Go Proud says Go that. Proud is basically saying, like, that's the worst thing that could happen. This only needs to be decided through a vote by the people per state uh, and just let the states decide. But Guys, so- why not just fucking make it legal? We could all move on with our lives. That's the thing is that, is that basically what he's saying is it's, it's ultimately anti-gay because yes. es- essentially what he's saying is like, we don't deserve federal benefits, but if enough people in a state decide, we'll support them. It's honestly like... It's such. A, it's it's like more conservative than like your average conservative. Also, it's a weak position. Oh well, I guess if these guys say it's okay, then we'll go like then we'll support it on a federal level. But only if these other people are like only if we have the support. Let me tell you something. Why don't you take your money and your gay dicks and stand out loud and proud yeah. and say we support this? Go shit yourself if you don't agree. Exactly. That should have been the press. That should have been the press release. Well, I do write press releases for a living. Did you know that? No. Yes, I wrote. I remember when. Um, when let's see, I did a, a merger recently. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was when. Um, I'm trying to remember the last merger you. It was did. a big merger that I. It was when. Um, when current. Uh-huh. Was bought by Al Jazeera. That was your thing. That, I wrote the press release for for Joel. Oh, I see. Joel Hyatt, who's the yeah the CEO. Yeah, CEO. And yeah. It, and it and can I just give you a sample of it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this is the press release that Joel Hyatt sent out on behalf of him for the sale of Current. It said, um, "Hey, everybody, what's up?" Um, just wanted to God, let that's you so know, unprofessional already. It, it, well, he likes to keep it casual. Just want to let you know that CBS wanted to buy our station and 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 gut it. And then fire everybody, mm-hmm. and then they were going to just put reruns on. But we decided that what we were going to do is have our founder, Al Gore, take $10 million from essentially an oil company. And we're going to, and I'm also going to get a lot of, I'm probably going to get a million, millions of dollars. I, I have enough money to Scrooge McDuck. Okay. And then, so this was all in the press release. All in the press release. Gotcha. And then he said, um, unfortunately, I don't know what's going to happen with you guys, but best of luck. Okay. And, um, and then he, 
and I wrote in this. I wrote in it, but he sh- I wanted him to not. He was supposed to copy it and put it in another document, but this was an action for him where he grappling hooks out of the um, wherever he's reading. So the with the uh, GoPro thing, what they went on to say was. We believe the decision about how to best do this is one that should be made at the state level and that these decisions are best made by the people directly or through their elected representatives, not by unelected judges. So essentially it's that whole like activist judges argument. Exactly. That whole thing. So like with Prop 8, um, you know, people voted yes on 8, which made marriage in California illegal, even though it was once legal. And the judges are the one that overturned it. So they're basically saying, like, we don't believe in that. We believe this should be decided by the people. The problem is, is that some of the people in GoProud were, have been married in other states beca- and in California originally because of activist judges. So, in other words, they got married in states that didn't have this as a by, by decided by popular vote. So it's completely hypocritical. Oh, so, well, oh, really? They're being hypocrites. Yeah, and so then, and then they finally go on to say that was sarcasm. Did you pick up? Did you pick up no. on it? No, they went on to say. As Federalists, we do not believe in a one-size-fits-all approach on almost any issue, and that includes relationship recognition for gay couples. So, in other words, th- the Supreme Court shouldn't be deciding this for everyone. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Why make it worse? All. If exactly. you're not going to make it better, why make it worse? Go proud. And they continue to say, we are firmly committed to winning hearts and minds, which is why we understand that not everyone who doesn't support marriage for gay couples is automatically a bigot or homophobe. Okay. Yeah, they are. Sorry. Because so they're are. basing it on the fact, on their sexual orientation. You don't want gay people to have equal rights. Guess what? You don't like gay people. That's pretty much, that's pretty much it. That's, it's, it can't get any more cut and dry than Let's that. Let's put it this way. The log cabins would be, are considered liberal crazers compared to Go Proud. As far as I'm concerned, obviously marriage should be legal. On a federal level, it should be one size fits all. This is not a complicated issue. Two people love each other. They should be allowed, and they're consenting adults. They should be allowed to get married. Bottom line. Also, like, straight people can even talk about the sanctity of marriage. We're the worst at it. I guess at the end of the day, like, if you're going to be gay and not if you're going to be, if you are gay. No, if you're going to be gay, if you, like, decide, like, sometimes I wake up and I think, I wish I could be gay. And I try very hard. I have girls come over and they sit on my face and then I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it, you know, yeah. but I wish, but I, but I think about doing it. Great. Go proud. Here's my advice to you. Like do thanks for supporting marriage equality on the weirdest terms ever. But if you're going to do that, why don't you also stop endorsing politicians and giving money to political organizations that halt all that? You're doing this all wrong, Brian. Oh, sorry. They don't listen to the podcast. You should just call them. Oh, okay. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hi. Um, is this welcome to GoPro? Oh, thanks. Well, I'm not there. I'm just calling you on this the phone. This is Tim Smith. Hi, Tim. Hi. So I just have a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's? Hey, give me a name, fella. Oh, God. That was creepier than it needed to be. Uh, my name's Brian. Oh, hey, Brian. Hi. Tim Smith. Right. So, I guess my question for you is, thanks for supporting marriage equality on with a ton of footnotes. Oh, uh, well, Just with a fuckload of footnotes. You know, we don't believe that federally that gay marriage should be endorsed because, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all for all laws that are fair to people. Okay. So, where would one-size-fits-all... Always okay. with just socks. Okay. Or hats. Gotcha. So you do... But ind- not marriage equality. Okay. 
So that's that's GoProud's official position. Official position. Okay. Well, um, thanks Brian, to... no. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. uh, okay. First of all, how'd you get this number? I just Googled it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we keep it secret. Okay. So here's the problem. Uh-huh. Tim Smith here. Right. We... Please also just stop saying your name, because I've, I've heard it enough. <laughs> We've reversed uh, IP or whatever they call it. I have to talk to the tech people. You reversed IP'd. I'm kind of following. We know where you live, and we're coming over. Oh, what did what? We're gonna have we're we're gonna get you and hope you're get put some pants on because we're gonna Tim Smith here. I know your name. We're gonna come over. We we gotta we gotta put you in a dungeon. Okay, great. We just can't have this number out here because then people call all the time, question our ideas. We we work through press releases. I'll tell you what you could. I do. don't want to hear about press releases. What you could have done is you could have sent us a press release and then we could have responded with a press release. Not interested. And then and then we could have avoided this whole thing about us having to hide that you you exist. Okay, well, thank you. That it's all so logical. Brian, it's been such a pleasure. It really hasn't. For I'll me. see you in the van. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I'll definitely be getting back to the voicemails in the next episode. I thought I only had one major thing to talk about today, but it turns out I had two because something was said in today's show that I want to comment on. So I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, – I want to relate it to the gun issue but talk more generally about – culture and marketing and how groups of people come to believe what they believe. And so rather than talking directly about guns, of course, I want to talk about wedding rings, naturally. So back in ninth grade, I took an economics class where my teacher uh, explained how monopolies work by using the company De Beers as an example. So De Beers is the company that right up until recently, I think they got bought out, but right up until recently, they owned 90% of the world's diamond supply. And so, you know, 90%, it's effectively a monopoly. And when you have a monopoly like that, you can control the supply, artificially suppress the supply of diamonds, which then pushes up the price as any ninth grade economics class would teach you. Then if you can use your profits from that increased price and actually market your product, push up demand, then it just pushes up the price even farther. And that is exactly what De Beers did. Not only did they maintain the supply of diamonds, they also marketed their product there, the company behind a diamond is forever. Uh, the idea that uh, diamonds, you know, the price and size of diamonds is directly related to how much you love the person you're supposed to marry. So uh, engagement rings need to be ridiculously expensive in order to be, you know, worthy. That whole thing. So just know that if you have either uh, felt pressured to get a large ring uh, for an engagement ring or felt the desire for a large ring, you know, to, to show the the love of your, uh, you know, fiance, then just know you're, depending on how you look at it, I guess, a, a victim of that particular marketing campaign. And so that just gives you a little bit of perspective on, on how that worked. If, the, if you hadn't been told that in, in the past already, then maybe you realize like, oh, that makes too much sense to not be true. That is so obviously true. 
And, and, you know, I, I was theorizing myself that, you know, if I had a budget of a billion dollars a year and a hundred years, uh, to run an ad campaign, I could definitely run an ad campaign that convinced everyone that, uh, only wedding rings with no diamonds whatsoever were acceptable, you know, socially or otherwise that, you know, a, a wedding ring is, is meant to symbolize eternity. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, perfect circle, uh, that goes on forever and to sully it with something as, as gauche as a diamond is, is, would be repulsive to the person you gave it to. And, and, you know, but who's got a billion dollars a year to run an ad campaign? For the absence of something, you know, not selling diamonds doesn't make enough of a profit to run an ad campaign like that. So, of course, by its very nature, ad campaigns can only be run for profitable ideas, which sort of gives you an idea of how uh, cultures begin to believe that they agree with the things that are profitable for corporations and disagree with the things that aren't really profitable for anyone. And so to relate this to the gun issue, of course, you know, we, we hear the argument that, uh, you know, Americans need guns to protect them from their government. Or like we heard from Wade, the conservative, uh, you know, gun advocate who called into the show a couple of times. He says he's not worried about a tyrannical government. He wants a gun for when the government breaks down. But America, it's pretty well agreed upon that America is more obsessed with guns than the average country. But again, America is not any more likely to fall under tyrannical rule or to uh, you know, be victims of the collapse of government than any other country. And a really, really good argument could be made that we're in a better position to avoid those scenarios than you know, a vast majority of the countries in the world. And so something else has to account for the idea that we're still obsessed with guns when we're among the countries least in need of personal protection for, you know, government, you know, either a tyrannical government or, uh, you know, government, uh, breakdown. And that gap, I think, is, you know, although not necessarily filled, uh, with direct marketing, but, it, you know, is the sort of the, the passive marketing of culture and history and that, you know, it, the ideas of the need to be protected by guns have been passed down from you know through generations of scared people all the way you know back to the time when they had a reason to be frightened all the way to the present day when we really don't but in addition it is of course not a coincidence that guns are profitable and the lack of guns is not profitable for really anyone so i guess what i'm saying is you know not just with guns and not just with wedding rings, but with everything to do what I hope to do myself is to really analyze where our beliefs come from. Do they really come from a, like a bedrock set of, of a belief structure or have they been sort of, con have we been convinced to believe things by outside forces that are pushing those ideas for profit motives? Obviously, you know, profit motives are not necessarily always in line with what is morally correct, which leads me to the second point that I want to bring up about uh, the Tom Hartman interview I played today. I didn't actually play that because I thought it was you know so good that it deserved to be in the show. I actually played it because I disagreed with it and wanted to talk about it. 
I thought that Tom got himself backed into a corner by the conservative he was interviewing about the issue of polygamy. And, you know, I've been hearing this argument for years and years ago. I thought, oh, come on. Like, no one's talking about polygamy. Like, the slippery slope's not going to go that far. Conservatives, what are you worried about? And, but the more I think about it, the more I think, no, they're right. That is where the slippery slope is going to go. And as progressives, I don't really think that we have a firm moral foundation to say that it shouldn't go there. I think that progressives' moral solid foundation of our belief structure is, you know, the combination of equality for all and consent. Consent is the foundation that, that makes us laugh when conservatives say that gay marriage will lead to, you know, pedophilia or, you know, pet marriage because children and animals can't consent, but adults can. And so once we get past gay marriage, once we, you know, once the, the entire transgender community is totally accepted, once every single aspect of the queer community is accepted, you know, we're always going to be looking for some other uh, beleaguered group to bring up, uh, you know, to a level of, of equality. And I would predict that polygamy is probably in that, uh, you know, in that group. Like, they're completely shunned now. But if you think that the idea of polygamy is repulsive and unacceptable and immoral, then you have to recognize you're only looking at it through a very ethnocentric perspective. Because as the conservative rightly pointed out, Tom making that argument probably sounds very bigoted to millions of people around the world who believe wholeheartedly in polygamy. And so I think when you drill down far enough to a bedrock of progressive uh, beliefs, then I don't know what Tom or anyone else, uh, you know, what they could argue without tying themselves into knots and, and really make it sound like they have a firm, uh, you know, belief structure supporting the idea that no, 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 gay marriage is perfectly all right. We demand equality for all. Oh, but you know, polygamy. No, that's crazy. No, no, no. We don't believe. Yeah. We, we would never allow that. I, I don't, I don't see like that seems like an arbitrary line as much as gay marriage is an arbitrary line. So I know I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to freak out. But again, you know, when it's explained that way, how – give me an argument. Give me an argument that I'm wrong because uh, I, I just don't see it. So that number again to leave a comment for the show, 206-202-3410. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show, either by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought lines now black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. 